Hello and welcome to episode number six of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Christian Pody of DraftAnalyst.com, joined once again by Tony Pauline. Tony, how was your Thanksgiving? It was fantastic. Uh, started the morning off, as I have the past 23 years. I went to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. <clears throat> it was rather a cold one. It wasn't even 20 degrees, a little bit breezy. Went with my daughter. Absolutely great day. Came back, and I ate enough in one day for the next two months. So I hope it was well for you, and I hope it was good for all of our listeners. And as a Thanksgiving treat, I guess, we have a packed show tonight. We're going to do a few reviews. We're going to preview the conference games. But most importantly, we got a ton of news. Some of it is breaking, and some of it are updates on other stories that we have uh, broken over the past five podcasts. So let's get right to it. All right, and and we'll start off our reviews from Rivalry Week with a game that did happen on Thanksgiving. Although in the end, I don't really think anybody was particularly thankful how it actually turned out. Uh, It was the Egg Bowl between Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Turned into a 35-3 blowout in favor of the Bulldogs. And, you know, while you had backups playing in the middle of the third quarter and, and things were a little difficult to kind of evaluate from that point, what were you able to take away from this game, Tony? Yeah, that was one game that basically the scouting was over halfway through the second quarter. I mean, from what I watched, and I, and I I made sure I watched it, Jonathan Abram, the safety, and Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackles, were the most impressive players on the field to me. Once again, Abram making plays all over the field. I was impressed with his ball skills. He intercepted one pass. He, he broke up two more. Uh, constantly around the ball, making plays and run defense. Just a smart, heady, instinctual safety. Some have already anointed him as a first-round pick, but I disagree. I think he's more of a second-day prospect. A lot of his draft stock is going to depend on how fast he times in the 40 and the shuttles at the combine. He comes across as a really good athlete, but not. I'm sorry, he comes across as a really good football player, but an average athlete. Doesn't have that great range in center field. Maybe more of a traditional strong safety or a zone-type safety, which is going to depress his draft stock just a bit. I still think he's going to be a very good football player at the next level. He's already accepted an invitation to play at the Senior Bowl, which is great to see. I mean, when we're down there, we're going to be watching the one-on-one matchups, especially when the safeties go against the receivers. It's something really where you'll see the ball skill deficiencies in the safeties if they're not able to quickly flip their hips in transition and follow the receivers down the field. You know, it could be very telling for Abram. Yeah, and Abram was definitely strong against the run. Uh, He shows good closing speed. He gets outside quickly against the run. But again, center field, that's where the issues start to come in a little bit. And that's where the, you know, potential for his draft stock to be a little lower could be. As you said, the senior bowl will be huge for him. A guy who is just as well regarded in terms of talent, probably more so, but also has some questions about his draft stock, which may not necessarily be related to his athleticism, is Jeffrey Simmons, as you mentioned. Uh, he He made a big impact on this game. From the start, which was really the only time that there was to make an impact on this game. Uh, you know, he got some interior pressure, knocked down a pass early on, forced a fumble when he quickly got penetration on the inside. You know, in the end, he just does a great job getting interior pressure. He does it with both quickness and power. Uh, the Bulldogs defense really dominated this game. And obviously Simmons, as we discussed on last week's podcast, has some off-field issues in his past. He's been good lately. Nobody says anything about his character now, but again, those issues are going to come up uh, when it comes draft time, and we're going to see what ends up happening with his status. But in the end, this was a really big game for the Bulldogs' defense, and and I know you uh, have a couple more guys to spotlight on that end, too. 
Yeah, I, I was impressed uh, with the way Jamal Peters played uh, in the game before he got nicked up. He's a big physical defensive back. He's got outstanding size and speed for the next level. I like his ball skills. I like the way he competes to defend throws or, or stop the run. There were some who I've spoken with who believe Peters will have to make a move inside to safety at the next level. They think he's a bit stiff. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think you should be given every opportunity to play cornerback before you kick him inside. But the fact is this, Peters has a lot of next-level ability in in a certain system where he can play either facing the ball or even man coverage. You could tell the impact that Peters had early in the game. When he was there, obviously he made an early exit. But when he was in the game, he really made sure A.J. Brown didn't get much. All Brown had against him when Peters was in his coverage was just a short screen pass. Uh, It ended up being one of Brown's worst games of the season overall. Four receptions for 61 yards. Really just didn't get off on the right foot because of Peters in a lot of ways. And then obviously the game got out of hand and, and really just everything spiraled from there. The other receiver on Old Miss, Demarcus Lodge, he had a chance to make a really big play on the first drive that it's hard to say it's a play that would have you know, changed the complexion of the game, but it's a pass that he dropped on the five-yard line. Yes, the coverage was tight, but the ball hit him right in his hands. Uh, he timed the ball well. It was a really nice throw from George Hamm, who also ended up leaving injured and was kind of ineffective in this game. But Lodge had that drop on the first drive. He bounced back a little bit a couple drives later, showed strong hands on a back shoulder throw and also a crosser later on in the game. He, he's just a little inconsistent. He does attack the ball in the air. The timing isn't always there. Um, He really needed to make that catch for the hype that he's been receiving lately as a guy who's going to rise up draft boards. That's the kind of play you really want to see a guy like that make. And it's possible it really could have affected the uh, complexion of this game. You know, finally, Montez Sweat had another strong game on the stat sheet. Six tackles, one and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks. I mean, even the novice can see what a terrific pass rusher he is on the college level. But there are some who are still concerned about the build, his build, his long, thin build, and how he's going to hold up at the next level. We spoke about that last week. Now, since then, I've spoken with several people who've told me that uh, Sweat is going to be grilled about off-the-field issues, which date back to his days at Michigan State. And there are several who I've spoken with who feel that this could be a drag on his draft stock. Next, we'll head to Columbus, where Ohio State put on an offensive show against Michigan. Ended up with a 62-39 to victory. Dwayne Haskins threw six touchdowns without an interception. Paris Campbell flirted with 200 yards receiving. But in the end, all of that is only made possible when you get a great performance from your offensive line. In this case, that's exactly what Ohio State got, particularly from Isaiah Prince. What impressed you most about the big right tackle last weekend? Yeah, he was, a, he, was, he was a riser last week in my week 14 column for risers and sw- sliders, in large part because I got more from Prince than I've expected because I was not that high on him coming into the season. But like you said, he's a big guy. He's a strong guy. He plays big football. He easily controls opponents once he gets his hands on them. He shows some stiffness in his game, but he's explosive. I, I mean, he's just a, just demolished people when he was run blocking opened up big lanes, drove guys off the line of scrimmage. I was relatively effect, uh, relatively impressed with his ability and pass protection. Doesn't slide his feet all that good, but does enough, makes great use of angles and pass protection. I mean, really shut down the pass rushers from uh, uh, Chase Winovich and Rashawn Gary from Michigan. I think what they have like one tackle for loss each, uh, no sacks. So you really have to be impressed by that. Now, the one thing that concerned me was, uh, is there was a play down the goal line where 
Winovich was able to fire on the inside of Prince, and Prince was not quick enough to block down on Winovich. The, the play went for no gain. OSU had to kick a field goal, which made the score 27-19, to 19, which was one of the few times in the contest that the game was close. So, you know, I like his size. I like his power. I, I like the way he approaches the game mentally. You can see he gets it. I'm just a little concerned about his agility and how that translates to the next level. Is he going to be a right tackle? Does he have to be pushed into guard because he's a small area lineman? We'll have to see what happens the rest of the season and through, uh, you know, workouts in the lead up to the draft. Now, I hate to sound like a broken record and echo everything you said, but in the end, that's just what I'm going to do here because I did see some good and some bad from Prince. He's quick to pop his hands out off the snap, so he's ready to go there. Settles in a wide base. He has a strong anchor. But as you mentioned on that play that Winovich got him inside, Prince has a tendency to lean outside from time to time. Uh, and part of that could be that he's looking to make up for that lack of agility he has. Um, it does cause him to get beat inside from time to time. His hands are quicker than his feet, so he tends to ride past rushers past the pocket rather than truly getting out and setting the edge, which is something that's really going to hurt him against elite elite pass rushers. Uh, you know, in, in this game, Gary and Winovich, it didn't hurt him at all. Both plays that those guys made were not when Prince was blocking them. So overall, the performance was very good from Prince. But you do see some of the reasons why people might want to move him inside or might question some of his pass protection. But overall, it's hard to consider this game anything but a win for his draft stock. It was another strong game for Ohio State running back Mike Weber as well. He led all ball carriers with 96 yards on 13 carries, averaging 7-point yards per carry for a bigger back. That's an exceptional number. Only had one reception in the game, but Ohio State didn't need him to catch the ball out of the, field, out of the backfield because they were able to throw the ball downfield so effectively. Now, I have stated my fondness for Weber's next-level potential the past two years. I'm hearing from more and more people that he's li very likely to enter the draft. And I'm going to say right now, I don't think he gets into the second day. I think he's more of a fourth-round pick. And I think that Weber is going to be great value outside the top 100 selections in next April's draft if he enters, which I expect him to do. Now, a Buckeye who's probably going to end up on day two of the draft is Paris Campbell, who I mentioned before. This was his third big game of the season. Uh, he's been a little bit inconsistent, but that's kind of the type of player that he is. He's not, you know, the true number one receiver who's going to beat you in many different ways. He's been held under 90 yards in, I think it was nine of his 12 games this season. But when you get the ball in his hands, boy, is he explosive. He can make plays. Uh, he can dodge tacklers after the catch. He's really, really strong in that sense. He's going to have a clear role in an NFL offense. He's going to be a guy that you might have to manufacture some touches for him, but he's also talented enough where you're going to want to man manufacture those touches for him. So if he lands with a day two pick, which seems to be the likely range, he'll end up kind of like a former Buckeye and Curtis Samuel in the sense of what his draft stock will be. Uh, if he lands with it on a team with a creative offensive coordinator, they're really going to be able to take advantage of the skill set that he brings and just the explosive ability that he has with the ball in his hands. Now, we'll close out with Washington State and Washington, where bad weather, unfortunately, played a part in this game. Washington won by double digits. Uh, the snow and the wind made it up a bit difficult to evaluate a guy like Gardner Minshew, which is what we were looking to do going in. But alas, here we are. We're going to do it anyway. Tony, what you see from Minshew? Yeah, as you said, the conditions were really difficult. I mean, the snowflakes were almost as big as bowling balls or coming down from the air, and it really impaired any semblance of a passing game. Still, even with that, I mean, Minshew struggled. And I dare say it was his worst performance of the season. Two interceptions, just 152 yards passing, 
Washington posted only two sacks and two quarterback hurries, but Minshaw seemed to struggle under the rush. It wasn't an awful game, but given the composition of the Washington defense, which is littered with next-level prospects, as well as the fact that Jake Browning, the Washington quarterback, played reason- reasonably well, I don't think this is the contest that Minshaw wanted as we move towards the pre-draft process, and I'm sure this is a performance that scouts will ask him about in interviews during the lead-up to the draft. Yeah, Minshew did a nice job keeping the offense on schedule early, but it was mostly dumping passes off the backs and, and taking what was available. Obviously, that Washington secondary wasn't really allowing his receivers to get open and get separation down the field, and he wasn't in a situation with the weather where he's going to be challenging uh, in tight windows downfield. But he's also not the kind of player who's just going to challenge in tight windows anyway, whether the weather is good or whether the weather weather is bad. He doesn't really have that kind of arm. He's more of a game manager. Um, He's going to be a guy that takes what he's given. He's going to be a guy that, again, can keep an offense on schedule, but he's not going to make that many big plays for you. He's not going to, you know, light the world on fire. So this game, while the weather wasn't good, and while it's hard to fully evaluate a quarterback there, it also kind of accentuated the weaknesses that Minshew had. And towards the end, it seemed like he was kind of pressing. He threw a couple interceptions, one near interception. Both of them came on bad decisions. Um, you know, he's trying to force plays where they weren't rather than taking what he had available to him, which he did early. A lot of that was the score. He says, hey, I need to go out and make some plays. But in the end, it wasn't something that he was able to do. Before we get into some breaking draft news, please support the draft analyst by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Bleed.com. Leave a rating and a review. And if you ask a question in your review, we'll do our best to answer it on the show if there's time at the end. You can also tweet us questions at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe underscore LA to get in touch with the show. We've already gotten some feedback from several listeners, so please keep it coming. We always want to hear from you guys. We're always looking to improve, and we're always looking to see what you guys want to hear so that we can give that to you. Now, Tony, Notre Dame just finished an undefeated season. They're headed to the Final Four, and they have legitimate hopes here at winning a national championship. They have a lot of talented underclassmen. What are the top-rated guys from the program likely to do once the season is finished? I continue to hear that cornerback Julian Love is going to enter the draft. This is a story that I first broke back in August on the Journey to the Draft podcast with Fran Duffy. I'm hearing louder and louder rumblings that once the season is over, Love will make uh, the jump to the NFL draft. I love his ball skills. I think he's played very well. This year, he also played very well. Last year, he jumped out at me as a sophomore. I think he has next-level skill. The question for Love is, how tall is he? Is he 5'10"? Is he 5'11"? Because a lot of teams aren't going to take a cornerback in the first 40 picks unless they're six foot tall. I think Julian Love grades out on the field as a potential top 35 player. It's just a question of, is he tall enough to go that early in the draft? I'm also hearing that Khalid Kareem, the defensive end, is seriously considering entering the draft. Nothing final. I'm not as sure on Kareem as I am with Julian Love. But if Kareem enters the draft, he's having a good season. I could see him as a second-day selection. Now, Tony, speaking of pass rushers... What's the latest you've heard on Max Crosby of Eastern Michigan? Yeah, we have a lot of updated news on Max Crosby. What I'm hearing is it's very likely, probably about 80 to 90 percent, that Crosby enters the draft. There's a belief out there that he has already decided on an agent that's going to represent him moving forward. I'm told it's sort of a situation with finances where the money is needed now, which is why he's likely to make the jump. On the off chance, if he doesn't make the jump, 
I'm told that he, it's very likely he's going to go the graduate transfer route and will leave Eastern Michigan for hopefully a bigger program. But I expect Crosby to enter the draft. I think he's a second-day pick if he works out well. There are some people out there who think he can get move into the second round. I think that's a little bit rich for uh, Crosby. But if he goes into pre-draft workouts, about 255 pounds, 250 to 255 pounds. Right now is about 245, and he runs well. Running well means in the low four sevens, potentially the high four sixes. He's going to break into that third round area. I would expect to see Crosby there next April. Let's move out west, Tony. You first reported that Nikhil Harry was headed to the draft at draftanalyst.com back in September, and he confirmed as much this week. What are scouts saying about Harry? You know, I'm hearing they're reiterating a lot of things I've said about him over the past three months, and that is an incredible amount of his draft stock is going to rely on how fast he runs in pre-draft workouts, the 40 time, the 10 split, the shuttle times. I mean, scouts look at him now and they think that he's a big, strong college receiver who just wins out for the 50-50 receptions. And if it's a situation where he can't get any separation at the next level, he's going to drop. I know there are some teams right now that have a third round grade on Harry. And it's not because he's, they don't like him as a receiver. They do like him as a receiver but they just don't think he's quick enough or fast enough to get true separation at the next level. They think at best he's a number two receiver. So he's got to go to the combine and he's got to run well. Run well means he's got to run in the low four fives or high four fours. I'm told he's going to run in the four fours. So we'll have to wait to see. But, you know, the underlying theme that I hear from the scouting community is one that I've reiterated literally throughout the season is Harry's a great college receiver who wins out for the contested pass, but if he doesn't show any quickness or speed in the lead-up to the draft, he's not going to go as high as people think if he can't prove that he can't separate at the next level. Staying in the Pac-12, there's an underclassman linebacker out of Cal who's really sparking a lot of next-level interest thanks to the highly productive season he's having. What's it going to take for Evan Weaver to enter the draft? From what I'm hearing, is Weaver will enter the draft if he gets a grade back from the advisory committee that shows he's a third-round pick at worst. Uh, I mean, he's been a tackling machine this year for the Golden Bears. He's second on the team with 127 tackles in 11 games. They also, they've also got one game left against Stanford, which was pushed back on the schedule. He's got six passes broken up. He's intercepted two throws. He's got kind of a funky build. He looks almost like a tight end. But if he gets a second-day grade, he's going to enter the draft. Do you think he slides into the second day? I think it's going to be very tough. I think there are teams that are kind of stuck on the build of, of a player. I don't think he's got the build. I don't think he's got enough of a body of work. Probably better off if he, if he just sits pat for another year and plays a cow. Tony, there was a report from our friends over at Roto World that San Diego State offensive tackle Tyler Romer was suspended indefinitely by San Diego State. Now, ordinarily, this really wouldn't register to many people. He's not super well-known. But you had Romer as a week three riser over at DraftAnalyst.com, and you feel he'll be the best offensive lineman produced by the Aztecs since Kyle Turley. What more can you tell us about this situation? Yeah, the situation is not a good one between Romer and San Diego State right now. He had been playing with a leg injury, and evidently what happened was the injury continued to bother him. He went out to get it checked by himself. I'm told he must have missed some meetings, which led to his dismissal from uh, the San Diego State Az Aztecs. The fact is this, there's a lot of bad blood between Romer and the Aztecs right now. He's not going to be back with the program. I'm told one of two things are going to happen. Romer's going to try and transfer to another school, or he could enter the draft. 
He's told people that he feels he can play at the next level, and he's considering making the jump. I think it would be a mistake. I think if he enters the draft, he's a late-round pick. But if he goes back for another year, at, at he's obviously it's not going to be San Diego State, goes back to a, for another year, I'm sure there'll be some Pac-12 teams out there that would like to uh, like to recruit him, like to bring him in if he can get it, the release from his scholarship and has another good year. In my opinion, he's got the ability to be a second-day pick. So you look for Romer either to enter the draft or transfer to another school. Again, I think it's a mistake if he enters the draft. He's got a great amount of upside, but he needs a lot of work on his game before he'll be NFL ready. Now, it's that time of year where senior bowl invitations and acceptances are really rolling in. A small school receiver that we've mentioned numerous times on this podcast, Andy Isabella from UMass, he has accepted his invitation to Mobile, and this is an important opportunity for Isabella. What are your thoughts on the five foot nine wideout? He's going to have to show that he can run. And what I'm, what I'm hearing is... You know, scouts estimate him to be a mid four five guy. I'm hearing he's he can run in the four threes. So we know he's a great pass catcher. We know he's able to get separation because he sees uh, what the defense uh, sees the defensive schemes. He reads the defense and he finds a soft spot or he comes back to the quarterback. When he goes to the senior ball, what you want to really see in those one on ones is can he beat the opponent downfield in a foot race? Because as you know from going to senior bowl practices with me the past two years, they line up cornerback against receiver, and they run a lot of go routes. And if it's a situation where Isabella is able to outrun the opponent and do it on a consistent basis, this guy's draft stock is just going to keep on rising. He's going from the late rounds into the middle rounds. You look at his production. Is the third round a possibility for him? Yes, I hope he's five foot ten because if he's five nine and a half, he's going to be marked down. But if he comes in five foot ten and he runs or he practices to the speed that I hear he's capable of running, his draft stock is just going to take off. There have also been several other small school prospects who've accepted invitations to the Senior Bowl, but there's one name that's yet to show up on the list. And I know that there's one guy, while he may not be known to most, you've been told he's one of the fastest rising small school players in the scouting community. That would be Alabama State offensive lineman Titus Howard. He plays left tackle for him. He may project to guard. If you watch him play, he plays with great knee bend, great fundamentals. He's outstanding in pass protection, can slide off the edge, stout at the point of attack, anchors in pass protection, keeps his head on a swivel, moves very well. When they get him out on the second level, he shows ability blocking emotion. needs to improve his strength, needs to learn how to finish those run blocks, but that's not unusual for small school uh, offensive linemen. I think in the end, I'm hearing from scouts right now, they think he could go in the second day of the draft. He's better than Parker from North Carolina A&T, who was at the Senior Bowl. Now, I think in the end, Titus Howard was likely going to enter, it was likely going to be on the Senior Bowl roster. Why? Well, number one, he's from Alabama State, and they want to get that hometown flavor there. And number two, I mean, the scouting community is just raving about him. That will eventually get to uh, Nagy at, uh, at the Senior Bowl. So I wouldn't be surprised if Titus Howard ends up at the Senior Bowl. Guys out there who like to scout, like to watch film, make sure you, you get some film on him because he is quickly rising up draft boards. Moving along to some news on what NFL teams are going to look to do in the draft in April. What are you hearing about the Carolina Panthers, Tony? You know, every year we hear that the Panthers are going to take safeties early in the draft. 
But from what I'm told, their scouts are telling people that they really are going to target safeties in the 2019 draft. I mean, they basically, in round two, they lost out on uh, Jesse Bates, who they wanted by one selection as the Bengals took him, uh, pick 54, and the Panthers were on the board at pick 55. You look at the safeties right now, Mike Adams, he's 37 years old. They had to bring Eric Reed in, so they need a lot of help at the position. You look where they're selecting right now. I mean, right now they're selecting in the middle of round one. And if all goes well, uh, the workouts go well, you know, I could see them taking Deontay Thompson of Alabama, one of the highest rated safeties, or a guy who probably is going to be the highest rated safety in the middle of round one. You're getting around two. You're looking at guys like Jaquan Johnson from Miami of Florida. Uh, we got to wait and see if J.R. Reed of uh, Georgia or Taylor Rapp of Washington enter the draft. But unless they make a big move in free agency, what I am hearing right now about the Carolina Panthers is they intend to target the safety position early in the 2019 draft. We're going to take a different approach to our previews this week with conference title games on tap. So what we're going to do, instead of focusing on just a couple games, we're going to quickly hit a bunch of games, all the games that we can get to here. And we're going to start with the MAC title game on Friday, which features the high-flying Buffalo offense and the stout Northern Illinois defense. Tony, what matchups are you watching here in this contrast of styles? You know, Sutton Smith of uh, Northern Illinois, he's a guy who was a Week 12 riser. He's a guy, when you watch the film, he pops out at you. Uh, 14 sacks and 29.5 tackles for loss in 2017. This year, it's 13 sacks and 21 tackles for loss. He's just a constant disruptor. You know, the problem for him is he's 6 feet, 230, 235 pounds, so he doesn't have that next level size. The uh, Buffalo air attack has been explosive. Anthony Johnson, the receiver, who's been a great player the past two years. He was a week two riser. He started off hot, then he missed two games with injury. His production is way off compared to a year ago, but that's because he's been banged up. And then there's Tyree Jackson, the Buffalo quarterback. Looks like a power forward the way uh, behind center. He's got a big arm. There's some chatter he may enter the draft, but I hope he doesn't because he needs a lot of work on his game. The thing is, Ken uh, Sutton Smith you know, really be a disruptive force and break up the rhythm of Tyree Jackson to Anthony Johnson or Tyree Jackson to any of his uh, targets because that Buffalo passing game, is, it can be so explosive. Heading out to the Pac-12, where two of the nation's top 20 scoring defenses in Utah and Washington will face off. The Utah offense is missing running back Zach Moss and QB Tyler Huntley, though, while Washington does have a good rushing offense. Utah allows barely 100 rushing yards per game and statistically has a top five rushing defense. So something's going to have to give here. Tony, what do you expect it to be? To me, it's Washington's terrific running game versus Chase Hansen, a linebacker from Utah, and their safety, Marquis Blair. Chase Hansen was great as a free agent prospect entering the season, but he's played lights out this year, and he's moved into the late rounds. He's very athletic. He's a former safety. He's got a senior bowl invite. He's a running chase linebacker. He's outstanding in pursuit. And then they got their big safety. Uh, Marquis Blair, who is a terrific run defender, really a hard hitter. They're going to go up against Miles Gaskin, uh, a guy who I have a third-round grade. I like him as a runner. I like him as a pass catcher out of the backfield. And the same thing with quarterback Jake Browning. I'm not a big fan of his next-level potential, but the ability to throw on the run or basically pick up yardage with his legs is going to be a big challenge to Utah's Chase Hansen and Marquis Blair. We'll move from a defensive battle to a game with the nation's top offense, and that's the Big 12 championship between Oklahoma and Texas. There's a lot of explosive ability on that Oklahoma offense, and there's lots of draftable prospects on the Texas defense as well. Who are you looking at specifically? 
Yeah, that's it. And it's can the Texas defense, specifically their defensive backs, Chris Boyd, who right now grades as a third, fourth round pick, uh, junior safety Brandon Jones, who I have as a late round pick, senior safety P.J. Locke, who is uh, probably outside of draftable range, more of a priority free agent. You know, what can they do in their in the secondary to slow down that explosive Oklahoma passing game? And then there's our buddy Charles Menahue, who we've mentioned a couple times, who's had a great year, the defensive end from Texas. Moving up draft boards, you know, can he get up the field and disrupt uh, Murray's uh, rhythm and kind of be a disruptive force uh, to kind of, again, help his defensive backs in slowing down that explosive Oklahoma passing game? We're going to head to the Sun Belt now where Louisiana and Appalachian State are playing here. Jalen Moore, who is a, a big time running back from Appalachian State, suffered an injury in October, so he obviously will not be playing in this game. But what other draftable prospects do we have in this game, if any, Tony? Yeah, and from the scouting perspective, it kind of lost its luster with, with Moore, who was graded as a potential fifth-round pick when he went down with the injury. I, I like Appalachian State's underclassman tackle, Victor Johnson. Right now, I got a six-round grade on him. I, I think he's got a lot of next-level ability. Will he stay a tackle? Will he move into guard? I don't know, but he can play football. Uh, Louisiana also has a big-body guard in Kevin Dotson, uh, who could be a late-round selection. So those are guys to watch on the lines of scrimmage. We have a rematch in Conference USA this weekend between UAB and Middle Tennessee. The Blazers come in with a top 10 defense, but Middle Tennessee wrecked that defense last week in a 27-3 victory. Tony, what are you looking for in this second game between these two teams in a week? No, well, first you got to just applaud that UAB program. I mean, basically terminated two years ago. Now they're playing for a conference championship. Outstanding job by everybody. You mentioned their defense. I'm a big fan of their nose tackle, Anthony Rush. Six foot four and a half. 350 pounds. I mean, the guy is a gap occupier. He is the definition of a gap gap occupier. Takes up two and three blockers, occasionally makes plays on the ball. But if you're looking for a potential zero technique lineman at the next level, Anthony Rush of UAB. Scouts gave him a priority free agent grade. I right now grade him as a seventh rounder. A cornerback, D.A. Williams, a little bit small, five under five foot ten, but plays fast. He's got solid ball skills. Next level dime back. Uh, potential uh, return specialist, Marshawn Diggs, the senior safety, a guy who, again, pre, a priority free agent, but has got decent size, over six foot one, over 200 pounds, really better between the numbers. Uh, but when the ball's in the air in his area, he makes plays. And Quindarius Staggered, the other defensive tackle from UAB, doesn't have the great size, but a guy who's constantly around the ball, uh, disrupting the action. Rush is the only guy on the UAB defense that I have a draftable grade on, and I may be generous with that, but I'm going to tell you what. Anthony Rush, the defensive tackle. Quindarius Thagard, the defensive tackle. Cornerback D.A. Williams and the safety. Marshawn Diggs. They're all going to be playing in camp next year, and it wouldn't surprise me if at least three of them make NFL rosters. We're going to shift gears from a defensive battle there with prospects to watch from UAB to a game in the AAC, which has a high over-under and and is really going to be an offensive battle between UCF and Memphis. Obviously, Mackenzie Milton's nasty injury from last week takes some of the luster out of this game, Uh, but it's a battle of top 10 offenses regardless. Is UCF going to have to rely on its defense in this one? And, And if so, Tony, who are you really looking at from a scouting perspective? Well, we know Memphis is going to have to rely on their defense, or or at least we assume so. Uh, First thing is, you know, we hope the best for Mackenzie Milton. It was an awful injury. The news keeps getting worse. They said that there's potential nerve damage. You don't know when he's going to be back if he's going to be back, and, and how he's going to be back. So obviously the first thing is we hope uh, we hope uh, he comes back now. You know, the replacement Mac, how much did they lose w- with the replacement quarterback? 
Memphis has got three solid defensive players, next-level defensive players to keep an eye on. Austin Hall, the senior safety, 56 tackles, five pass breakups, a guy that just flies around the football, plays with great intensity. Curtis Aikens, uh, a guy who was given a, a six-round grade by myself. Scouts think he's more of a seventh-round type player. I think he's going to have a, a future ne- next level. Bryce Huff, the junior outside linebacker, 18 tackles for loss, nine and a half sacks. You know, these in-the-box type of defenders, whether it be the safety hall, whether it be Curtis Aikens or Bryce Huff from Memphis, the, the, the program's had some success with them lately. Jannard Avery was a fifth-round pick last year. He's now starting for the Cleveland Browns. So uh, with the way that Central Florida likes to mix it up, they're not specifically a vertical offense. They, they like to do a lot of motion, a lot of east-west stuff, and then turn it up the field. It's going to be a good challenge for, for the Memphis defense and the three defensive prospects, or the three next-level prospects, I should say, they have on their defense. Now we're going to head to the SEC here where we have Alabama obviously playing in this game, facing off against Georgia, really two of the most balanced teams in the country. And in a game like this, there's just so many matchups to watch, Tony. You can't, you really can't watch them all unless you're going to hit the rewind button and, and really just play it over and over again. What specifically piques your interest here? Yeah, and this is something I talked about with Fran Duffy in this week's edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast. And the fact that in the, you know, the storyline will be, can the Georgia defense slow down the Alabama offense at all? I mean, they have a quarterback that's going to win the Heisman Trophy in a couple of weeks. They got a downfield passing game. They got a great running game. I mean, this is a challenge for the Georgia defense, who statistically hasn't been that great this year, but has played smart, disciplined football. So who's going to be in charge of trying to slow down Alabama's explosive vertical passing game? Well, first is going to be DeAndre Baker, the senior cornerback. Some people grade him as a uh, first-round selection. I don't think so. I'm more, a, I'm more of the belief that he's going to go uh, top 15 selections in uh, round two. He's a guy that's an exceptional athlete. He plays physical football. The problem with DeAndre Baker is he can't make plays with his back to the ball. He does a lot of face guarding. If he can't find the ball in the air against Alabama, expect a lot of big plays down the field. J.R. Reed, their junior safety, who I absolutely love. I think he's an early second-round pick, a guy who can go sideline to sideline. And then they got some good pass rushers. I'm a big fan of Jonathan Ledbetter, though he hasn't had a good statistical year. Six, three and a half, almost 280 pounds. Runs and plays in the four eights, gets a lot of pressure up the field. I like his intensity. Outside linebacker, edge rusher, DeAndre Walker, 6'2 250 pounds. Uh, a guy who's going to run in the four sixes and get a lot of pressure up the field. The, the Georgia defense is going to have to be hitting on all cylinders for this to be a real game and not a blowout. Speaking of defenses that are going to have to bring their A game, Fresno State brings its second-ranked unit into the Mountain West title game against quarterback Brett Rippon and Boise State. Now, Mike Bell is a guy you've talked about on this podcast before and a guy that you're really high on. But who else are you looking at in this matchup? Well, it's basically going to be the ripping against Mike Bell show as far from a scouting perspective. I mean, Bell is going to enter the draft from what I understand. As I've stated before, he's a versatile defensive back who can play corner or safety. He's got excellent length. He's relatively athletic. He doesn't have a lot of mental breakdowns, and he's going to have to need all that, you know, basically to help the, uh, to bolster the Fresno State defense to stop Brett Rippon because Rippon, he doesn't have the greatest arm, but he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't throw bad passes. Uh, he's the kind of guy that can beat opponents with the ball fake, so Mike Bell's going to have to be on his game. We're going to move to the ACC title game here, which pits Clemson against Pitt. Easily the biggest mismatch of the week, nearly a four-touchdown spread. Pitt's a team that likes to run the ball. Obviously, we've talked about the Clemson defensive line numerous times on this podcast. I'm assuming we're going to talk about it again in about 10 seconds. Tony, do the Panthers have a chance to succeed on the ground or overall in this game? 
Well, you hope so. I mean, you don't want to see a blowout in these types of games. Uh, really, they can't throw the ball. They're not very good throwing the ball, so they're going to have to run the ball. They run the ball. They're going to be relying on Alex Bookser, who's really their only uh, prospect up front. And you're going to want to watch him against Christian Wilkins as well as Dexter Lawrence when they're matched up one-on-one. I think it's going to be a tough haul for uh, for Pittsburgh. But if Bookser you know, shows well against Wilkins and or Dexter Lawrence, it's going to improve his draft stock. Now, we have one more game to break down here. Ohio State coming into the Big Ten Championship hot after steamrolling Michigan. They're going to face off against Northwestern, a lesser defense than Michigan, which, again, just still has 62 points to the Buckeyes. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, whether that Wildcats defense can stop Dwayne Haskins and company or, or whether the Ohio State offense is going to stay hot. Who are the key players here, and what are we going to be watching from a scouting perspective? Well, obviously, one of them is Northwestern linebacker Nate Hall, who we've spoken about. We've broken down, we've broken him down, we've previewed him, we reviewed him, and he's a solid player. Nate Hall, he's going to be a good last day pick. Uh, you know, you're going to have to watch him if you watched the game last week against Michigan. Ohio State likes to run a lot of crossing patterns, which are basically on the verge of offensive pass interference because they run a lot of picks. So Hall is good in coverage. I don't expect them to be covering the Ohio State receivers downfield, but I expect them to be covering the intermediate field in the middle against those uh, 10 and 12-yard pass plays. Mon- uh, Montre Hardage is a cornerback who I like. He's got a lot of skill. He's not the biggest guy in the world. He's going to give up some size to those tall Ohio State receivers. You know, the question with Hardage is sort of like, going back to uh, DeAndre Baker of Georgia. When the ball's in the air, can he get his head back around, or does he, lot of, does he do a bit of face guarding? I like Hardage as a late-round pick. I like him as a potential dimeback special team player at the next level. He's got a lot to prove, or he's got a lot to gain in, in this game against that explosive Ohio State passing attack with those big receivers who can take it the distance. And that's a wrap for the sixth episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you like what you hear, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to send us questions to answer on the show. If you want more draft nuggets, you can head over to draftanalyst.com. And we'll have plenty of bowl-related content moving forward over the next few weeks as we head into the postseason here. On behalf of Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi signing off until next week. Good night.